Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. The countdown to opening day hits 29 days. We're under the 30-day mark. It's four weeks tomorrow from opening night in the NBA. Presumably... You guys will all have your drafts done a couple days in advance, so we are most likely under four weeks from all of your fantasy drafts being done. Exciting times indeed. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Vespris, as per usual. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespris. You guys know the drill at this point. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. There are... Seems like every day there's actually a few more of you that are finding me on Twitter. So that's how I know this is the time of year where folks are coming back or new friends are finding the podcast. That might be my favorite thing of all. I do love a new listener. I do love them so. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Hope you had a lovely weekend. This is, I've, I've lost track now. I think this is off-season episode number 116, but honestly, we're so damn close to the season that it kind of doesn't matter. Uh, regardless, it's either 111 or 116. I know it's not any higher than that. Doesn't really make a difference. Guess it would have been nice to know exactly how many off-season episodes we had to do. Maybe for me only, so I can plan it out next year. I got screwed up this year. This is the first normal off-season we've had in three calendar years, and I didn't remember how many shows I really needed to do in here. It's exhausting. <laughs> Tired. Uh, he says at the start of the week. Um, not much to go on in terms of NBA news. Dennis Schroeder signing with the Lakers for the veterans minimum was pretty much the only thing that emerged over the last couple of days. It doesn't change much because you weren't drafting Russell Westbrook anyway in basically any format, provided he's still on the Lakers. You weren't drafting Patrick Beverly, not because I don't like what he does from a fantasy standpoint, but Pat Bev fans here on the pod for a long time, but there's just not really enough there. And he gets hurt too damn often. So, yes, out of position, rebounds and blocks, stuff like that. That's always fun, but then you play for two weeks and you're out for a week. That is not so fun. So fantasy-wise, it makes no difference at all. On Friday, we went through a mock draft, our latest. We will do that again as this week goes on. Uh, But in terms of what mock stuff is going on, I do want to give you guys a little tidbits on that uh next couple mocks we do i'm not sure that we'll cover them all on this podcast some of them will just be twitter only so another good reason to drop a follow over there because i'll probably just hop into a yahoo public mock that's like 15 minutes out those are the ones where no one's joined them yet and i'll throw the link up on twitter and then the first 11 folks that jump in they'll get to do the mock with me And those are fun because what we talked about on Friday's show, which is it's important to do mocks with competitive opponents to get a feel for, for me at least in particular, this is sort of the where are the sports ethos people going to be taking folks, those that follow and read along with what I put out there. But at the same time, the nice thing about doing it with Twitter is that the people that follow me on social media also follow a lot of other fantasy analysts generally, generally speaking. So you get this nice little cross-section of pretty damn competitive mock drafters who don't just take all of their information from this podcast. 
And you can sort of bang out a few of those rapid fire if you want, just to get a feel for where guys are going right now with good competition, if that's the way you feel your league plays out. I thought what we talked about on Friday was actually really interesting and really important. I hope that you guys agreed with me on that front, which was kind of, you know, why do we do mock drafts? How many do you need to do? What types do you need to do? And what can we learn from them? At this point now, we just kind of need to do one every once in a while to stay on top of where player movement might be. And then the other piece of the puzzle, the other thing I mentioned on Friday's show that I wanted or that is about to happen is that my, I get, I take a little pride in this thing, Nine Cat Industry Mock is starting today. That's a slow draft. I will be putting those picks out on Twitter as they happen with the analyst that did it. So you guys can get a feel for who's doing what. I'll try to do the draft board at the end. It doesn't generally fit in one screenshot, so it's kind of a pain in the butt, but we'll see what we can put together. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you guys will enjoy that as well. On today's podcast, it's not just... We're not only going to talk about how mock drafts work. We're not only going to talk about what's coming up in the mock draft department. We are also going to cover some actual fantasy basketball. I put out a mailbag post like 20 minutes before I was planning on recording this show, so we got a couple of questions there. Not a ton, because NBA Twitter is still pretty damn quiet. That'll change next week, because that's when media days come. Although I think the Hawks have it on Friday before they travel, but everybody else is first thing next week. And then a week after that is when preseason games happen, and then things are really going buck wild. So we'll get through some of these mailbag questions, maybe all of them, depending on which ones I like. I also want to check in on ADP data to see if it's beginning, or not so much beginning, but continuing to slide in the direction of Yahoo's X ranks. I think we also should check in to see if there's been any adjustments there. I don't believe there have been. I believe the projections in the X ranks for Yahoo have stayed the same since the middle of last week. Yeah, they're still fading the crap out of Trey Young, despite having him play 75 games. It's an overwhelmingly low number for him in their projection engine. They hate Trey Young. What are you going to do? Not well. So we'll check in on ADP information. We'll check in on some of these mailbag questions, and uh, then we'll send you off into the distance. Over the rest of this week, we'll probably start to look at some of the results of this industry mock. I think this is going to be a thing that provides us with days of content and a lot of information, because then, once it's over, we're going to have basically everybody from that mock draft on the podcast to talk about the teams they drafted and give out some of their favorite plays either from that draft or guys that they were looking for that did or did not get. And uh, you guys can get some really cool free high-end nuggets from the some of the biggest names across the fantasy industry. Not all of them, but quite a few. All right, so that's the news on mock drafts. That's the news on what's coming up here. That wasn't promo, though. I don't want you guys to accuse me of doing promo. That was actual, like, we needed to talk about this fantasy stuff. Um, Let's get into some of the ADP shifts here first. There haven't been many, so I don't think this is going to take us all too dang long. But a couple of things have jumped out. Number one, you've seen Joel Embiid continue to climb the ranks. He's just behind Giannis now and could actually move back into that number three slot before our next actual check-in on this stuff. Otherwise, the top of the draft has pretty much settled. 
The ADPs, I don't think the X ranks are going to change much in there, and I don't think the ADPs are going to change much. And so the first 12 names that you can expect off the board are largely set in stone. The exact order of them remains a bit up in the air. There are some question marks. It's going to depend on your league. But right now, the ADPs in order are Jokic, Durant, Giannis, Embiid, Luka, and Trey. That's the front six. Steph, Cat, Tatum, Harden, LaMelo Ball. Harden's now moved in front of LaMelo, by the way. I think that was another small change. And then LeBron James to round out the first dozen. There's still a lot of shifting going on in the second round, for whatever that's worth. Kyrie Irving has somehow managed to hang on to that 13th slot, even though his ADP is 15.6. The gap, by the way, between LeBron and Kyrie has grown. Remember, it was 3 on the nose, now it's 3.1. So it's even bigger than it was before. Dame still behind Kyrie, somehow. Anthony Davis has now moved in front of John Morant, whose ADP has fallen to 17, and it's just going to continue to tick down the board. He's just not going there anymore so that one's kind of a a false piece of data and another reason why it's so important that we've seen the way things have been going up to this point folks picture this nightmare scenario you're hosting friends for the big game it's neck and neck in the fourth quarter and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks Ooh, say all of your friends you start to sweat Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Booker Halliburton continues to move up the board. He's still basically where he was, but his ADP is now 19.1. I think this is the first time since we've been doing these check-ins that his ADP has been under 20. DeJounte Murray at 21.6. His has been climbing. Donovan Mitchell still kind of hanging in there despite the trade. Uh, X-Rank hasn't moved on him. Paul George, Bam Adebayo, Demonis Sabonis, Darius Garland, Anthony Edwards, who's been on the rise. Jimmy Butler falling. DeMar DeRozan falling, even though his X-Rank is actually staying high-ish. Rudy Gobert is pretty well locked in there. Kawhi, Freddie Van Fleet, those guys back near 30. That's kind of amazing. Uh, And then the names that we're always looking at, Jalen Brown has actually shifted back forward a little bit. He's gotten back in front of of Robert Williams. Vooch, Ayton, Mobley, Zach Levine, Zion. All these guys are pretty much locked into their spot. So ADPs in this range, yeah, there's, there's little shufflings going on, but they're fairly minor on the whole. And once you get to this point in a regular draft, you kind of don't care if the ADP is moving up a tiny bit or down a tiny bit. You're starting now to go grab the guys. You're not worried about, like, who may have fallen from an earlier slot because those guys were probably not dudes you were targeting anyway or you would have taken them sooner. One of the things that 
that I want to talk about here as we're going through this ADP information is another mental aspect to the fantasy draft. You, you guys know I love to spend probably more time than anybody on the mental elements of a fantasy draft. And I don't, you know, maybe that makes the podcast a little dry. I'm sure you guys would love me to just tell you the exact order that you should take every player in the NBA. But that's not the way this show goes. The mental side of a draft, we all have our little hurdles that we have to conquer. You don't, you do something crazy as the, the timer's running out. You do something crazy if the guy in front of you takes the last player in your queue. You do something crazy if you're thinking, when do I make my reach? We've talked about all of these things through the offseason and ways to kind of get your head right with those topics. And probably we'll do something else on that front uh, as we get really close to actual fantasy draft time. So maybe in October we'll do a segment. Or you know what, maybe I'll do a YouTube special on that stuff, like the, the, the mental side of fantasy sports drafting. Because there's so many aspects to it that you have to kind of clear out of your head. There are two that always get me on the mental side of drafting. There are two things that I'm, I fall prey to. Despite now, I, I don't know, call it doing this professionally for the last six years and then playing in fantasy sports for over two decades, I'm still vulnerable to two things. And the one I, I really wanted to focus on today is the idea of a player falling. Okay, I've, I've fallen into this trap before. The most recent time I can remember it is like two years ago, Julius. No, three years ago, Julius Randle. Three seasons ago. That was the one where he did not play well, I believe. I don't know. I don't remember. I can't keep track of the years. Once... I'm telling you, man, once you have kid number two at all, just it, everything else just evaporates. The reason I bring up that particular pick, whatever the hell year that was where, where Randall couldn't throw a stone in the ocean, it wasn't this most recent season because I had long since learned my lesson, and then he was quite good, I believe, the year before that. So it must have been three seasons ago. Not important. What is important is that I was in the middle of a draft, and I had a queue set up for six or seven players and it was like eight picks away from me. And I thought, okay, there's like an 80 to 95% chance that I get at least one of these guys. And I was picking very close to the turn at this point. In fact, I might have even been on the turn. I was either the 11th or the 12th pick in this, in this draft. And this was the end of the fifth round. I still remember that part quite vividly. So I had all these guys lined up that I really liked that were going in the 50s. And I thought, come on, one of these damn dudes is going to make it to me. So I loaded them all up into my queue, and I watched. And they were fine, and everything was going fine. Everything was hanging in there. I had like seven or eight names in the queue, and then one came off like 12 picks away. All right, we're, we're okay. And then five consecutive picks. I had five guys in the queue and five picks away from me. And boom, 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 boom. And it went fast, too. They didn't wait around. All five guys in my queue, right out. In five picks, and the whole the whole lot of it took like maybe 25 seconds. These, these folks were going quick. Jonas Valanciunas was the last one on that board. I still remember that as well. Drove me crazy. I thought, surely JV will get to me. Because his ADP was outside the top 60 that year. But if any of these guys will make it, it'll be this dude. Nope, he went last. He was the last one off the board right in front of me. And I don't want to say I panicked necessarily. 
But, of course, I looked back at the board, which, as we've mentioned a million times, is sorted by Yahoo's X rank, and there was Julius Randle up at the top, someone who had an X rank in the 40s and an ADP in the 40s that year, and there he was, still there on the board. And even though I had my list of guys in front of me, which would have been a little farther down. I think, you know, the alternative here was doing a tiny bit of reaching, if you want to call it that. The idea of the reach is just so far-fetched because, you know, once you're at pick 60, the Yahoo X ranks aren't even remotely close to reality. So it's not even really reaching anymore. But I had my guys, and I thought, all right, well, like, the next dude I want has an X rank of, like, 72 or 73 or something like that. And I thought, okay, well, I have a couple choices here. Do I just take that guy and then the next one I liked, which had an X rank of like 77? Or, well, hey, look at this guy who's not someone I was targeting necessarily. I had him like a, in the next tier down, but does he now match up with the guys that I was already looking at? Because in my book, I think I had Randall like one tier later than a couple of the guys I was eyeballing. So... If you were just going based on the guys I wanted on my team, I would have taken the guys with the X rank in the 70s. If I'm now trying to game out like, all right, well, like how many times am I going to have an opportunity to get Randall 15, 20 picks later than he's generally going? Maybe I can still get the guys I'm looking at. All of this is going through my head in 45 seconds. Now you get that boink when you have 10 seconds left. The beep, you know, the clock goes to let you know you're counting down. And now I haven't made up my mind on this. And panic sets in. So forget the idea of panic, because there's plenty of other things you can do to prevent that, which, like, setting up an entire queue all at once would be the answer. I just don't really like doing that, because then you have to go back to your queue and you have to rearrange based on position later on in the draft. I don't like to do it that way. I prefer to see how everybody else is drafting. I'm not actually that worried about the panic part of this. What I am concerned with is this idea of a player falling to you. Because it doesn't really happen with a player you weren't looking at. There's this idea we've talked about plenty of times, and I, I hate to keep saying that, but like, you know, we've done a lot of off-seasons on this podcast at this point. There's this concept of, like, how far does someone have to fall before they're back in your crosshairs again and it comes back to these guys that I think a lot of analysts probably just refer to as someone that they're not going to draft the do not draft list and we've made a really big point on this show of trying not to refer to guys by a do not draft list but instead by a this guy will never make it far enough for me to get him anyway list and I think that moment was a moment where I thought Maybe we should call it a do-not-draft list. But still, it's much more accurate to say, okay, here's a guy who's just never going to fall as far as we need them to for us to get them on our fantasy team. An example this year uh, might be someone like Luca, who I would have no problem drafting in the second round, but obviously he'll never fall to me in the second round. So to that end, he kind of becomes a de facto do-not-draft list guy. But that's not fair, because I love Luka. I just wouldn't draft him in the early first round. I want him in the mid-second. It's never going to happen. 
So then you get to that moment in a draft where, in that particular instance, it was Julius Randle. It was a guy that I was like, this dude will never fall far enough for me to care about him. And then all of a sudden, he was still on the board, and I was on the turn, so it was never going to get back to me again. I thought, all right, well, I guess. And in that moment, as soon as I said, well, I guess, in my head, I had screwed the whole thing up. So you really have to be very clear in your own mind with how far, how far really does a guy have to fall before you now start to consider him again? That year, the answer for Julius Randle should have been the 70s for me. But then, that draft, I didn't have a pick in the 70s. I had picked 60 and 61, and then I didn't have another pick for 23. 80s. 60s and 80s. So there he was in the 60s, and I did something dumb. It needs to be at or beyond the point that you set for yourself. Luca's a great example to use for this coming every draft at this point. Last like two, three years in a row. What if you're in some wacko league where Luca's still on the board at pick 14? Are you taking him? Sure, why the hell not? Might he lose a head-to-head fantasy battle with Kyrie Irving by totals value? Yeah, but it won't be that far off. And you'd still get to have Luca at that point. I'm not completely against fun. So don't fall prey to the idea of a player falling so far that they move back into your crosshairs again. Set an actual limit, a real live number, so you don't even have to reconsider it. If I had done that, I just didn't think I was going to need to because I had all these damn names lined up, but you just never know what's going to happen. If I had actually said... Julius Randle, I will consider you if you make it past the 70s. And I had just stuck to my guns, but I hyperventilated for five seconds, I lost my cue, and then dumb things happened. Oops. Friends, the Brewski 150 is out for Ethos 360 subscribers in nine days. Be the first. The very elite first names on the board to look at the greatest list in the history of fantasy basketball as it makes its 2022 debut nine days from today. Go to sportsethos.com, get an Ethos 360 membership, and enjoy the Brewski 150 in nine days. Plus, everything in the draft guide, everything in the in-season fantasy pass, everything in the DFS pass, and everything in the wager pass, all rolled into one monthly fee on that ethos 360 package if you do not need the b150 earlier than everyone else on the planet if you feel like you know what i'll be fine my draft is five days before the season starts get yourself a fantasy pass or a draft guide draft guide access turns off on opening night fantasy pass access lasts for six months it's a six-month membership you can keep it going after that or you can cancel at that point it's only 5.99 a month for the fantasy pass people 5.99 a month i could have saved that by not paying for parking the last time I went down to the beach. Like two and a half times over, actually. Hello, Los Angeles. You can say $5.99, probably 15 to 20 times a month if you really wanted to. Please do it once and get a fantasy pass. It keeps us going here at Sports Ethos. It's a big part of what we do. In fact, it's basically the only thing we sell all season long is this next four-week stretch. So please do go to sportsethos.com. Or follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. I'll be retweeting this stuff a few times a day at least. We're also emailing about it. 
Go get yourself something today. And while I'm telling you guys things you can or should do, why not hop into a Sports Ethos Listener League with other folks that listen to this podcast and the rest of the stuff at Sports Ethos? It's a reader and listener combo league. Uh, we have Roto, head-to-head, free cash leagues. They're all available. Hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris or email roster at sportsethos.com with any of the stuff I've been talking about. If you don't have social media, that's another way to get in touch with us over here. If you have any questions about our premium stuff, you can email roster at sportsethos.com or bug me on Twitter. I do not mind at all. This sales season is so important. It powers the locomotive for the rest of the year when I don't really tell you guys to buy anything from Sports Ethos. This is the only time, so please go do it. And again, bug me if you have any questions. That's at Dan Vespers. Handful of questions came in here on my last second mailbag, and I want to start with Jakob Pertl. That's Scott has a Jakob Pertl question. Uh, actually, a question kind of about a handful of centers. Oh, I got that wrong. That was Flyby Fantasy with the in- in initial question. Sorry, Scott. Uh, flyby with a Jakob Pertl question. Scott had some additional stuff that tacked onto the end. So we'll, we'll roll all of this into one uh, combo amalgam question. So thoughts on Jakob Pertl. The, the question says, seems like he could, with a little asterisk there, be a top 50 guy, but nobody's really talking about him. Role is secure, gone up in value in minutes every year. What's the argument for or against a top 50 season for Jakob Pertl? Uh, The argument against is extremely one-dimensional, and it's the tank. From a head-to-head standpoint, I get it. I get it. You're afraid that the Spurs are either going to move him or shut him down towards the end of the season. And it could happen. It's hard to know because the Spurs are so young and not very good that they might not need to do any kind of full-scale shutdown to lose a bunch of ballgames this year. On the other hand, they're still the Spurs, and they still happen into wins more often than they should. Last season, Pirtle got off to an actual, like, really not that bad of a start. It's, he's such a funny story from last year. Pirtle finished at number 67 on a per-game basis. His first half and second half counting stats really didn't differ all that much. You know, first 40 versus last 40 kind of thing. The only real difference for Jakob that moved him from, like, top 100 the first half of the season to top 40 the second half of the season was that his free throw stroke went from abhorrent to just bad. First half of the season, he was shooting, what, like 39% at the foul line? was not savable. You needed multiple good free throw shooters to cancel out the damage he was doing. All season long, he was in that realm of like 14 points, 10 rebounds kind of deal. Uh, He had really good blocks numbers. You know, just reliable, traditional big man stats. He was at like 12 points and 9 boards. Yeah, that got better in the second half. It went up to like 14 and 10, so it did improve. His blocks got a little better in the second half. But that free throw thing... You know, from 40, like 40% is just ridiculous. So yeah, he saved his season those final 30-some-odd games. First half, couldn't shoot the free throw at all outside the top 100. Second half, could a little bit shoot the free throw. And inside the top 40, finished at 67. On a game-to-game standpoint, you've got to figure that his production's going to be relatively level. He probably won't have as many easy looks without DeJounte Murray running things. 
So does that hurt his field goal percent a little bit? It could. Do the blocks fluctuate back down in any way? I don't know. Those feel a little bit fluky regardless, like he just had a couple months where he wouldn't block as many shots, and he had a couple months where he did. Steals are fine for a big man. Rebounds are going to be 9-10. to 10. Those might even tick up a little bit because, remember, Murray, a very good rebounding guard, replace him with guards that don't rebound as well. Pirtle probably tumbles into, I don't know, half a rebound more. It won't be a massive thing, but probably won't go the other way. Free throws, tough to know. Is he 40, 50, 60%? Who the hell can tell? And he'll be a good field goal percent guy. He makes sense as someone you could draft between 50 and 60 and feel relatively comfortable with. He's probably not going to blow that number away. And yes, he played 68 games this last year. There's a very real chance that the Spurs need to lose games, and so he gets extra rest days. There's a very real chance Jacoperto plays 62 out of 82 games this year. Which means drafting him at 50... He probably won't hit that mark by totals. He might hit that mark on a per-game basis. You might see him go nuts if the Spurs come whisper in his ear before the season, hey, dude, you're only going to play in 70% of our team's game, so, you know, go nuts when you're out there. He might take more shots. He might try to do more things. Who knows? There's that counterbalance where the per-game might actually improve on a team that he knows he's going to lose. If they trade him... Near the All-Star break, that's also a possibility. I, I don't. We don't really know if he's a guy they feel like they need to build around going forward. So, the, yeah, there is risk around the second half of his season. But from a Roto standpoint, you get 50-some-odd games out of Pirtle this year of top 60-level center production. That's not bad. Still, I think I would target him more as a sixth-rounder than a fifth precisely because of that risk around his name. And I think he'll probably fall to more like a sixth-rounder because of that risk hovering around his name. Hope that made sense. So that's the story on Pirtle. The follow-up question here from Scott uh, was about Anyako Kongwu, actually, possibly having a breakout season. I think we've put the cart before the horse a little bit on the Okongwu front. And it's not because he's not good, and it's not because he doesn't actually make the Hawks better offensively, this coming season than does Clint Capella. The problem is that Capella is substantially better defensively than Okongwu. And that really is more what the Hawks need. Because Trey Young, now DeJounte Murray, they have John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovich. These guys can handle the offensive load. They don't really need a center that can, you know, shoot a 15-foot jumper as opposed to one who can only score right around the rim. They can they can handle it with just the Rudy Gobert offense-level center, not getting Rudy Gobert defense out of Clint Capella, but you are getting improved defense, and Clint still has three years left on his deal. Okongwu is not a guy that takes the Hawks to the next level as a big minutes contributor. Yes, there is a chance that, and especially during the regular season, in an effort to make sure that Capella stays healthier, you might still see Clint's minutes trickle down. He only played 27 and a half minutes a game this last season. That's a number that has been 
pretty steadily on the decline. Although, you know, the, he he played a ton this the season before, which was a little bit of a surprise. We ended up getting him as a huge steal, and he played over 30 minutes of ball game. I think we all kind of thought he was going to play about 27, 28 minutes a game with the Hawks when he first got acquired. So this last season wasn't a massive surprise on the Capella front. The usage drop was a little bit more surprising. He seemed much less engaged on a game-to-game basis. His rebounds fell from 14.3 down to 11.9. That's way more than they should have fallen off, losing only about 8% of his playing time. Like, that didn't really make sense. Now, to be fair, 14.3 the previous year was a bit high, given he's been at about 11 in 26 and some odd minutes in his career. But recently, starters minutes, he'd been above 12. So if you're looking at 11.9, that's a number that probably carries over. Maybe you see it tick off a little bit. The blocks were low this last year. That's a number that you might actually see come back a little. His free throw percent was also very low. He'd been in the mid-50s, even got into the 60s briefly in there, and shot 47% at the line this last season. So there's a lot of stuff with Capella that was worse this last year that was actually more anomalous. The rebounds, the scoring, that stuff might continue to trend down or hold steady if he does play 26 and a half, 27 minutes a game. I just don't see how they tip that far in the other direction on that scale. I like Okongwu. He's a long-term solution. Maybe a year from now, maybe he does show enough growth this year defensively that they can turn that into a little bit more of a timeshare. Uh, But if Capella's healthy, he's the starter, and that means he has the easier path to more than 24 minutes a game. Could Onyeka Okongwu get it done in less than 24 minutes a game? The answer there is a soft yes. He was number 129 per game last year in just under 21 minutes per ball game. Unfortunately... He's probably looking at maybe just over 21 minutes per game this year. So we're talking about not even really a 5% jump for him. So the sky is not, unfortunately, the limit unless Capella goes down. And even if he does, you'll see Okongwu start, but I, I still don't think that guarantees him more than 25, 26 minutes a ball game. He's obviously a startable guy in that role. But the Hawks have so many offensive weapons. Okongwu does do a little more of his damage on offense. His defensive stats are better than his actual defensive impact, at least for now. That can change. I think they really hope it does, and it might, frankly. Uh, But we're not there yet. So he's more of a keeper dynasty sort, where Capella still kind of stands in front of him. Uh, This one running a little longer than I expected. I ended up doing a longer answer to that one. Um, I want to talk about... Let's see if we can get two more players in here real quick. We had a question on Franz Wagner. How many ga- and how many games did the Magic win this year? Well, if you remember, I did that whole week on our uh, on season win totals. I like the Magic to go over their total. I think that's a team that got the number one pick, and so they kind of feel satisfied with their tank job. I don't think they are going to be actively tanking. They're still going to lose a bunch of ball games, but they're going to likely go over that opening line. I don't remember what it was, and I don't know what it is right this second. Uh, but they were one of our preferred overplays as we went through the season win total stuff. As far as what Wagner does, uh, he looked great in the Eurobasket stuff. He was 103 per game last year, and you probably see his usage tick up a little this season. 
but not as much as folks might want. And the reason for that is that this team did just get the number one damn pick and didn't really lose anybody that took shots last year. In fact, you might even argue that Markel Fultz will get to do more. Boncaro is going to get to do plenty. Jonathan Isaac might resurface somewhere along the way. They brought back Bamba. They still have Wendell Carter Jr. They still have uh, Cole Anthony. Like, there's... I don't know where Wagner's a ton of extra shots come from. Maybe he gets, like, one extra shot per game? One and a half? Is top 75 achievable with that small of a bump? It's close. I just, I don't know how he becomes the centerpiece when you just got the number one overall pick. They're going to want to be, and they're going to have to. Boncaro's going to be asked to do a ton of stuff. Maybe you see Wagner play 32, 33 minutes a game instead of 30 and a half. That could be the answer to getting him an extra shot and a half per game. Maybe an extra quarter of a rebound, quarter of an assist. Little things like that. They can add up and push you to that. 65, 75 range, but that feels like kind of where you're maxing out, at least the way the Magic are currently constructed. But yes, I do like them to go over. I think the Magic will clear the very low bar that was set for them in uh, the preseason win totals. And finally, Pascal Siakam is the last question. Really, nobody's talked about him at all. Last year, uh, he was terrific. Um, The question actually here is why isn't anybody talking about him as a guy that could go even higher? Uh, Well, the answer is that last year went about as well as it could have possibly gone when you consider he started the year hurt. 23 points, almost 9 rebounds, 5.3 assists, 1.9 combined defensive stats, good field goal percent. Not great from the free throw line. Um, But overall, you're talking about a season that was probably the high watermark for Siakam. And you can go back to the books, and you can try to figure out places where things could improve, Yes, the free throw percent could come back a little bit. You know, he's 77 for his career. He was 82 the previous season, in fact. Uh, Three-point percent got better. His two-point field goal shooting got way better this last year. Um, and that's a big jump up from where it had been over the previous two full seasons. And, I, you know, I guess there's, you could say, well, maybe he was a little bit healthier this year. But the assists were also really high. He played 38 minutes a game, so it's not like you're going to get anything more on that front out of him. I just find it hard to believe that one thing gets better without something else taking a small hit. If we are if we really do assume, I think we kind of have to, that things like free throw percent, field goal percent, they will fluctuate a little bit on a year-to-year basis. A best world for him is field goal near where it was last year, 49 because the three-point shooting was decent and he didn't take that many of them, he scaled those back a little bit, and the free throw comes back up near 80. But I don't know how you ask him to play or do any more on a game-to-game basis. So you're looking at just hoping that his free throw percent comes up, but nothing else goes down. Could it happen? It could. And if he turns his free throw from a negative into a kind of break-even then yeah, he goes from a third rounder to a second rounder. And he was pretty durable last year, but can we expect that to happen again with the wear and tear the Raptors put their guys through? And on top of that, it's not like his ADP is low. He's going in the mid-third. He's going at 31, roughly, 
after posting top 35 value last year. So they're kind of there isn't a whole lot of room for him. In fact, his preseason rank is 29. I don't know how you go a lot sooner on Siakam, unless, again, you're like, okay, well, I'm betting just his free throw percent gets better. Yeah, if he fixes free throw percent, then his per-game rank is probably a little bit better than 29. But, again, you have to hope everything else holds. And I just think his ADP is good. He's one of those names that we're not talking about very much because his ADP is probably right. Near 30. Maybe a little bit after that. Just a hair. If he's durable, he beats it. If he doesn't, he's, he doesn't. All right, let's put a pin in this thing for now. We've gone longer than expected anyway. Uh, we'll start talking about some of the industry mock stuff tomorrow. Any news that breaks, we're counting it up, counting it down, whatever you want to call it. Twitter, I will talk to you over there. Again, I'll be live tweeting some of the pics on Twitter. We'll set up some mocks on Twitter. We're going to be doing a lot over on social. It is at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Have a great Monday, everybody.